0: Welcome to Second Win, the podcast, where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am, and that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Hello, Second Wind. I am so excited to bring to you today Lynn Power. She is an extraordinary woman, like all of the women I bring on here, but this is a really neat story. She's extraordinary in every sense of the word. She is a wife and a mother an entrepreneur of brands such as Ile de Nature and her newest brand of clean and direct-to-consumer hair care called masame lynn has been a marketing expert for over 30 years working her way from seriously the receptionist to the boardroom and she worked with so many companies that you know like clinique and estee lauder and Noxima, just to name a few and then she left her last job she left as being the last ceo of the oldest and iconic advertising agency named J. Walter Thompson, New York. And quite simply, in retrospect, she was finding her second wind when she decided to give her notice. And the story that has come since then is remarkable. What many people might not know is that Lynn is a recent cancer survivor. And not only was she given the news and the treatment of cancer, as she was finding all this out and then fighting it she was embarking on this new journey of masame and this was all during COVID. like it all happened like it was the perfect storm but her whole attitude is amazing i kept asking her so what you how'd you do that what'd you do like how and i'm sure you'll be asking yourself the same questions as we go through this interview we actually know some of the same people So Elaine Morrison of Elaine Wellness, the collagen brand that I support and love and tell you all to go get, who's been on the podcast, is one of her dear friends, along with Adora Therapy founder, Laura McCann, who has also been on the podcast. So small world. So welcome, Lynn, to Second Win the Podcast. Thank you, Wendy. That
1: was just amazing intro. And it is a small world. And yeah, there's just so many... Interesting things these days, right?
0: Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite words. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Because you don't want to give it value. You're not saying it's good or bad. You're just like, huh.
1: Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's funny. Describe my 2022.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's start with, you know, that thing, that time, the feeling that said, okay, I need to shift I'm changing my trajectory. What was that for you? What'd that look like?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I loved my career for a really long time. I mean, I felt like I just completely fit into that world because it was this combination of left and right brain thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay, I didn't know it at the time, but now in hindsight, I definitely could say I'm a bit ADD because I like working on lots of different things and not feeling like I'm you know, going crazy deep on one thing, although now I kind of am. But there's lots of different aspects to a startup, which is also feeding my ADD. So for a long time, I loved, loved, loved the business. And then I got to the point where I didn't. And I had to do some self-reflection to figure out why was it that I just wasn't really enjoying it anymore. And I realized, well, it's obvious, but people don't think about it. But when you get to be the CEO, it's really not fun anymore, (laughs) sadly, in a lot of businesses. Some are the exceptions to the rule. But when you're working in a large ad agency that is owned by a major holding company, most of your meetings are with finance people, HR, lawyers, not that they're not all lovely people, you know, (laughs) perfectly lovely people, but it wasn't the stuff I wanted to be talking about or doing every day. And we had a big public lawsuit also that I was sort of fronting, navigating, I guess you'd call it. And that was just really difficult. And I kind of had this epiphany as I was sitting in yet another finance meeting where they were grilling me about giving somebody like literally a $5,000 raise who hadn't gotten a raise in like two years and deserved it. That I'm like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? This is not fun. Mm. And so I decided to leave and I actually started doing consulting when I left and was working with startups because I felt like that got me back to the beginning in a way of really going into a brand and helping them figure out that story, the messaging, the marketing, the branding, the, you know, all that stuff and you could see an immediate impact. So I really enjoyed that.
0: Wait, and you also said, Lynn, and this is important to your story too, cause it just shows how everything kind of fell into place when you allowed, right? As we were talking about that, you weren't even looking to do consulting. You just happened to have these people that came to you and it just happened that you were leaving and you're like, yeah, I can work for you, which is kind of incredible. You didn't like leave and say, I'm gonna go, Consult now. It just happened. It just seemed,
1: it was like the universe lined up and literally the week I left, a client had called me who I had met because he came in to pitch their business to us. He came into the agency and he called me and he said, I need some help with my branding and marketing, you know, and I said, well, I'm leaving. And he was like, okay, that's even better because then I'm not paying a whole big agency. So that just was serendipity. And then from there, it was like he had an investor who really loved the work we did. And that guy introduced us to a few other clients. And so we were doing, you know, a good amount of consulting work. And I was really enjoying it because, like I said, you're kind of at the tip of the spear when you're doing work with startups because you can literally have a conversation. And I could say, Wendy, hey, I was looking over your website and I really think you should do a section for your coaching capability, whatever, whatever. And then the next morning I'd look in their be like they will have implemented like the conversation because they can, because that's what it's like. And I can do the same thing. If somebody says to me, hey, you know, I, I think you should really put a picture of like diverse women in your site. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then tomorrow it's there. So there's something really gratifying about right. that because so much of the advertising is like planning and then producing, and then by the time you actually get it out in the world, it's like a year. And these days, who's got time for that?
0: Yeah, and you were saying a lot of times your recommendations are now stale. Yes. By the time, exactly. The world has changed so much that
1: it's that's what was happening. A lot of these big clients, it just takes so long to work things through their system that by the time it finally gets approved, it's irrelevant. It's literally like, out of date. So, it's a yeah. very challenging time to be in advertising, but it's just different. I think maybe now this younger generation which my kids are part of, right? Gen Zers, Zoomers, whatever they call them. They have an attention span of a goldfish. So, maybe in a way they're more suited <laughs> for these short-term thinking of like you're not thinking about a year out, you're thinking about what's going to get out there next week or yeah. immediate impact. So maybe that's, that's the way it's
0: supposed to be, maybe. I don't know. You had a situation like I had where someone came to me and said, hey, I think you should open a restaurant. I said, well, I'm not interested in that, but you should talk to my husband. You had the opposite. <laughs> yeah. You know, my husband would, would
1: often introduce me to people along the way, many of whom I hired and then subsequently fired. So he was working with this guy, James, at Publicis, and James is a producer, and Bill said, hey, this guy I'm working with has been working on this hair care formulation, sort of on the side, like his side hustle for like a really long time, and he could use some advice, and you know, I don't know that business, so I know you know hair care, because I've worked in a lot of hair care brands over the years. Can you just meet with them? And I'm thinking to myself, oh like, really? Like, (laughs) I don't really want to. (laughs) I'm literally like, how can I waste two hours? You know, fine. But I decided, well, I'm going to him over for dinner because I got to have dinner anyway. So I'll invite him over for dinner and kill two birds with one stone. And he's going to come to my apartment. So I don't have to go anywhere. And he came over with his husband, Masa. So James came with Masa. Masa's a Japanese man. They had recently gotten married, maybe two years before that, but they'd been together for about 10 years and they walk in and I had two dogs at the time. Both of my dogs are, one of them has since passed, but they're a little quirky. They're both rescue dogs. And I had a big husky shepherd that looked really fierce. It looked like a wolf, but he was a super marshmallow. And then I have a really cute little black dog that looks like an angel, but he's the devil. And so <laughs> people, people often like would come up to my dogs and, you know, try to pet my little one and he'd bite their hand off kind of thing. And then, so anyway, the point being, I trust my dogs a lot because they're my dogs and I love them and they know people and they're good judge of character. And when Masa and James came in the door, my dogs literally like both of them like ran up to the two of them and were like so sweet and happy. And I was like, oh my God, that never happens. They were like dog whispers. And they had their own dog named Chiro, who is Frenchie. So anyway, so then they sat down and we had a lovely dinner and they just told me sort of like everything over the last 10 years that happened and what they've been doing. And I have to admit, I got sucked in. I was like, it's a great story. And James had gotten to the point where he had the formulations almost done, but he had no idea how to commercialize the business. Didn't have a brand name. Well, he did have one at the time that was not a good one. And those were the conversations. I was like, well, that's not a good name. I'm going to have to change it. Okay. He was like, all right like he was very receptive, very willing to partner, very open. And I tried the products and I loved the products. And I'm a tough critic because like I said, I've worked in a lot of hair care businesses over the years. And so I really love the products. So that's how that started. We decided to launch the business together. It's been a fantastic partnership because we're so complimentary. And I always tell people who are looking for like a co-founder or don't find a clone of yourself. That's like the worst thing you can do because you're going to be tripping over each other. Find somebody that's got a complementary mindset, skill set, shared values. That's important because those matter. But, you know, complementary skill set is ideal so that you can really divide and conquer and, and stretch further for the business. So that's what we did. So it's been a wild ride.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you said... He had been tinkering and you said that James is a perfectionist and he had been tinkering with this formulation for what? Like 10 years or something to come up with this since he had found this seaweed type ingredient in Japan, correct? And that it's a very, it's like a spongy infuses hydration if I'm correct. That is exactly correct. So
1: Masa, Masahiro, James's husband, grew up in this little town in northeast Japan called Atsuchi. It actually was the kind of epicenter of where the tsunami hit in 2011. Oh, wow. Yeah, most of the town was actually wiped out by the tsunami, with the weird exception being the little temple, the rickety little temple that was out in the middle of the bay. There's this, like, little temple that you walk out to. And that... That did not get wrecked. So mm. I don't know. Very strange. But anyway, so James would go back home to visit Moss's family before they were married and they were just dating and whatnot. And they were all kind of consuming, as in eating, but also putting the seaweed into their skincare and hair care products. They would kind of grind it up and put it in there. And they all look like they're 12. Moss's whole family, including oh, his wow. mother. His mother's in her 80s and she looks amazing. And the wow. Japanese have the longest life expectancy in the world, which is also, you know, there's something that they're doing that's right, obviously, to do that. So, so James became really intrigued with our ingredient and what it could do. And if you research makabu or more specifically, one of the nutrients in macabu is called phacoidin, you'll see that there are a number of studies that it is a cancer preventative or cancer fighter. So there's a lot of research in Asia around that ingredient as far as ingesting it. Mm-hmm. Not a lot on hair. There's, there's a couple studies that have been done, one in Australia for skin. There was another one we found that had some hair. So there, it, it was sort of an untested ground a little bit for putting it in a hair care formulation. But what we found is it's what you said. It acts like a sponge to bring hydration to your hair but the key is that it doesn't weigh your hair down. So like your hair, like I use it, of course, but it's like if my hair, okay, now I have short hair because it's my post chemo hair. But when I had longer hair and I would use a hydrating product, it would just be like limp. My hair would literally just look Mm -hmm. like it was, it it would look like, you know, flat. it would be flat and greasy looking almost. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what's so unique about our products is that they actually do the opposite. They give you volume, but hydration. So they're, your hair looks shiny. It's not frizzy. It's manageable. It's all those things you want. It's healthy. It doesn't break as easily. Your hair doesn't fall out as much. Like, so that's an interesting juxtaposition because it's not what people expect.
0: Not only that, but it kind of was for you too because you now – looking at these ingredients and jumping into this sustainable, clean, good for you, good for the ocean kind of world now. You looked back at the companies you had worked with and said, oh my gosh, there's bad stuff. That is bad stuff going in to those products and how detrimental that is to our health. It's
1: actually kind of shocking because, at the okay, I always have to caveat this by saying in my defense or anybody who worked in marketing or advertising 10, 20 years ago, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know that stuff in there, right? So it, it was a little bit of, you know, you're trying to market something. It's a lot of the products that worked on L'Oreal, Tresemme, Nexus, they're widely distributed, known name mass products, and a lot of people use them. But what people don't realize today, or some people don't, a lot of people do, but it's getting better. But most of the products that are in the mass market that you buy at a grocery store or a drugstore, or a Target or whatever, have toxic ingredients in them still. Like 90% of the market still has toxic ingredients. And these are ingredients, sulfates, phthalates, parabens that have been shown to create health issues, can be carcinogenic, can be endocrine disrupting, can create all sorts of issues with your health, and yet they're still on the market. So that was a big reason why when we launched our business and why it's so hard to make formulations that are high-performing and clean, it's because in the US, we like suds, for example, in our shampoos. That's our cue that it's cleaning. But suds are literally right. Would you wash your hair with tide. It's literally like, that's what it's like. And so our shampoo is low foaming because when you take the sulfites out, you know, you have to find alternative ingredients that are natural, but we do have a little bit of foam. It's not no foaming, but it takes people a little to get used to. I mean, they will sometimes use way too much because they want it to lather up the way they're used to, and then they get so much right. hydration. Yeah. So it's like we're starting to kind of re-educate and have people relearn. you yeah, train us. Yes. Yeah. Like how mm-hmm. do you use products to get the most out? Because the reality is like you don't even need a lot of our product. You just need like this much. I'm showing the size of a quarter, a nickel even. And that's really all you need to get it to your hair to look great. And then, by the way, you don't have to wash your hair every day. Because when your hair is hydrated and happy, it actually looks good for two, three days in a row without washing it. So you actually, with really high quality products like that, like ours, you don't have to use as much. And you actually can get a lot more out of that bottle of shampoo. It can last you three, four months. So it's just a different way of thinking about products. But yeah, I worked on a lot of products that are still in the market today, but are definitely
0: not good for you. (laughs) <laughs> not good for you and not good for the environment and are in our oceans, the plastic bottles and the residues from them. So it's interesting. Give us a little timeline here because when you decided to jump in and move into this direction, when was that, 2020, 2019? That was 2018, but it took us about 18 months,
1: yeah, to... We had to come up with a brand name. We had to come up with and make sure it was trademarkable, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Come up with our e-commerce platform, build that out, do consumer testing. We actually changed the formulation even more to get it cleaner. Did a lot of consumer testing on all kinds of hair types because we really wanted to make sure it worked for just about everybody. And then we were ready to launch and we decided to launch at New York Fashion Week in February of 2020. A, because we're New York And B, because Fashion Week, like, what a cool statement, right? So that's what we did. We had two shows, and we were doing the hair for those two shows. And I just remember sitting in one of the shows, and it was sold out, and it was packed. Like, people were like this, like, crammed next to each other, like, sardines in this little room and this space in Soho. And, you know, and then a month later, lockdown, it was like, wait, did that just happen? Did we all, we were all together like not even that long ago. And then here we are lockdown. So right. it was very surreal. And obviously we didn't know what was to come and no one knew what was to come. So you just kind of did the best you could.
0: So how did that affect, like you're jumping into this. This is literally your second wind, right? And it, did you feel like the sales, The wind had been knocked out of your sails, sort of, and now what? We're in lockdown. You're direct-to-consumer, thank goodness, because that probably helped. That did help. I mean, we did have to revisit our
1: business model because I had been planning on, you know, salon Mm. partners really help launch us, and that didn't happen at all. So, but to your point, luckily, we had built ourselves to be what I call DTC+, plus, direct-to-consumer oriented. So we really just focused on our own content and our customers and just building that out. And that was good. I mean, the one thing why I couldn't be too, like, woe is me about it is because everyone was dealing with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, every right. small business I knew had problems. And at least we were in a position of, we can sell it online. Like, there are some businesses that just had to close outright, you know? Like, the salons actually had it pretty tough, you know? I mean, restaurants, funny enough, like in the areas where we were, whether it was New York or out in Palm Springs, whatever, a lot of them, if they were able to like open seating on the street, extend their seating footprint to be outside. And then I've noticed post-COVID, a lot of those stayed. So a lot of those, right? So like if the restaurants were able to make it through that year and a half, They're actually better off now because they actually have more seating capacity now.
0: Yeah, some of them do for sure. So you're pivoting. You're happy. Are you happy you've made this decision? It's kind of exciting and new, right? You're in a whole new field and the clean thing and, and it's doing well as far as you've got some loyal customers. You told me you have three times the average loyal customer base, which is incredible for a brand new product. But when did you get the news about the cancer?
1: So I was happy, I was chugging along. I mean, it's make no mistake, it's a shit ton of work launching a business. So Yeah. People think it's like it's easy these days because oh, you can just get just just get your domain, get a Google domain and a URL and then just go into Shopify and set up a store. And yes, that's true. But there's so much that goes into it. That's a whole no, that's another podcast. <laughs> but yeah,
0: right. Just the print on the label is a decision in and of itself. Like wow. that you have to kind of work through. So
1: many things. And then of course, with COVID supply chain got all screwed up, ours included. We had or pouch refillable pouches that got stuck in the port in Chicago for six months. Anyway, things like that. So there was definitely those types of like frustrations. But overall, yes, I loved it. I was super happy to be doing it because it felt for me, it was sort of like I've been counseling and advising clients for so long on their business, I want to see if my advice is any good and test it on myself, right? Saying, eat your own dog food kind of thing. So that's what I was sort of doing. But then, yeah, I had gone for my annual mammogram and ultrasound in March of 2021 and they were totally fine. My routine, I've been going to Lenox Hill in New York City for 20 something years and it's all good and totally fine. And then a couple months later, July, I felt a lump in my lymph node under my arm, like the size of a golf ball, like kind of overnight. And I happened to be going to my OBGYN the next week. And so she took a look at it and she said, oh, it's the COVID vaccine. And I was like, but I did, I had the shot like in May and this is July, two months later, I'm going to suddenly get a lump out of nowhere. So she wanted to wait and just see what happened if it went down on its own kind of thing. But I have a friend who had gone through cancer before me, a year before me, and she was a nurse practitioner and she said, I don't like it. I don't like the way it looks or feels. I think you need to get another opinion right away. And I did a few days later. Actually, had an appointment, and they took one look and said it's not good. And so from there, series of tests that you do. You have another mammogram, another ultrasound, an MRI. Then you have the PET scan, and then they're doing biopsies, and then they found another lump, and they're doing another biopsy. You know, there's lots of those. So it's about a month of that kind of stuff before you get your final like diagnosis. I mean, they had said to me in the very beginning, like, it's cancer. They were confident. Like, it wasn't something where they said, well, it might be okay. No, they knew right away it wasn't. So I didn't have any pretense that it was going to be fine or a benign lump. I knew kind of going into all these tests that it wasn't good. And then they would reinforce it. I mean, I was having my ultrasound, and they, the guy said to me, you know this is bad, right? I said, Yeah. And he said, you're going to be having a lot of scans, a lot of tests, a lot of shit done over the next year or two, so just brace yourself. And I'm like, okay. I think different healthcare places I've found have different policies around that kind of stuff. Like, some of them don't want to tell you anything until they get the lab reports. But I actually preferred this approach because you kind of knew going in, you're preparing yourself, right? You didn't have anything conclusive yet, but you were at least kind of getting mentally ready for this journey because that, you know, you know that it's going to be a whole thing.
0: Right. You know, you're in for something. Yeah. You know, you're in for something. I mean, my mom had had breast cancer, but
1: she didn't have to have chemo. Hers was early stage and she just had radiation. My friend who'd had it before me was her two positives stage three. And that's what I ended up being as well. My tumor was eight centimeters, which is the size of a small orange. So, yeah, so that was... Then it turns out I also had a very rare and aggressive form of cancer. It's like less than 1% of all breast cancers are this very aggressive type that I had. So they were very like, wow, it was like the news just kept kept getting worse. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, you're going to have to have like the full, full treatment. Basically what that means when they tell you that, anyone listening, they're going to give you as much medication as your body can tolerate without killing you. That's basically what that means. So I had to have like four different chemo drugs for six months and then surgery and then six weeks of radiation every day. And there were two of the drugs that I continued for a year. And that was the process. So, it, and I still have my port. So that's the process. And yeah, I mean, but you know what? It's like, what helped me is I kind of chunked it into different phases. It was like, okay, the first phase is get through chemo. Then once that's done, you can kind of celebrate. Because that's the worst. Chemo's the worst. It really is. Then the surgery is like, you know, that's nothing compared to the chemo. And then the radiation was like, well, a little tired, but really, I mean, yes. And it kind of burned my, I don't know if you can really see. It kind of burns your skin, but it's really not a big deal compared to the other shit you've already been through. So it sort of was like that. Right. It was like, okay, each stage felt a little bit easier to get through and then you're done. So I'm one of the lucky ones. You're done. yeah. I mean, for the time being, you know, they, they're keeping my port in and it comes back because the type of cancer I had is a high likelihood it could come back. But the good news is you do it, you you just kind of get through it and and then you can kind of look ahead. I mean, I am very lucky though. I will say being somebody who's gone through cancer, a lot of people struggle with how to talk to people who are going through cancer. And I just felt like I don't need anybody to say anything special. You know, even friends that just would text me to say, how are you doing? That's great. You don't need to have magic words, is my point. But you also don't need to say things like, oh, you're so strong. And oh, you got this. Because what I realized, it has nothing to do with how strong I am. It has everything to do with the kind of cancer you have. And how lucky or unlucky you are about that. Because if you have a really difficult, really hard to treat cancer and it doesn't respond to the treatment and you die, it's not because you weren't strong. You know what I mean? It's, yeah,
0: that's a really good point.
1: So I always felt like when people would say that, I'm like, because I have friends, I've had had friends that have died from breast cancer and I just always felt like, well, they were strong too. But people are trying to, you know, they're to be uplifting. They, they're not thinking about that the way I was thinking about it clearly. But yeah, but the good thing, good thing, well, a couple things that were sort of interesting. One is good thing I had a clean business in terms of clean formulations without anything toxic because if I was making shampoo and conditioner that had those toxic ingredients in it, that would be bad. (laughs) I'd have to start over. So thank God my co-founder was really, really focused on the clean aspect and took all that time to figure that out. But then on the flip side, here I was as a hair care founder and I was bald for nine months. Oh gosh. Yeah. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. I literally looked like an alien because I didn't have any eyebrows or eyelashes either. It was awful. So uh, there was a good nine months that I just couldn't be on camera. I couldn't really show my face because it just wasn't, it wasn't a good
0: look. (laughs) I understand that. Yeah. So One thing I asked you, I was just, you know, I always try to put myself in the person's shoes and you're starting this new company. So you're all in, you're vested, you've given a ton of your time and creative resources and you get this diagnosis and it's time. Cancer takes time, not only to do the treatments, but also to recover from these treatments that over time make you sicker and sicker and sicker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And I was like, wow, I probably, cause it was the beginning stages too, right? So it's a new product and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that when a new product is launched like yours in the beginning, you really need to keep your momentum going, right? And, and keep building the brand and building the brand. And it seems to me that simultaneously, your body's trying to fight the disease and fight the disease and the energy to fight the disease is all consuming. And I'm like, so what did you do? Just hit the pause button. Like, that's what I probably would have done up. Yep. Um, I'm going to be out of this for a little while, carry on and just call me when you need me kind of thing. And you said, no, I didn't do that, which I, that's one of these extraordinary things that I think Is amazing about you?
1: Well, you could call it extraordinary, and I just call it pragmatic because I wasn't doing it to be Mm. extraordinary. (laughs) I was honestly, for me, one of the easiest ways to get through my day when I'm dealing with something like that is to keep moving and find distractions. And my business was enjoyable, is enjoyable. So, you know, for me, that was a really good distraction to keep doing stuff so that I don't have to think about my cancer all freaking day. And so it was kind of, it really wasn't like me trying to be like, I'm going to show cancer who's boss and fight through this. It wasn't really that kind of thing. It was more like, I just need distractions so that I'm not miserable every day. And so, but the reality is, having said that, I had to dial way back. I mean, I couldn't do all that stuff. I mean, there were trade shows that we committed to that I couldn't go. I mean, there, I, could, I, I was immune compromised. I'm going through chemo. I have no hair. I couldn't go to those shows. So I had to send my co-founder and another of our colleagues who works with us and they covered it. So fortunately, we were able to divide and conquer certain things. But I just had to kind of really take a step back and rethink what success looks like because the outside world, the VC world, kind of is every time you read any kind of investor recap they're all oh, 10xing your business and you know you get kind of into thinking that you're not a success if your business isn't growing at these incredible hockey stick rates and we know most businesses fail that's also something they put out there a lot but what i've also learned a couple things is that older founders are more successful and that if you can stay in business two, three years, four years, your chances of success go way up. And part of it is you just want to stay in business long enough to get lucky. And part of it is mm. weathered a lot of the worst shit and you've learned stuff and you're tweaking and you're fixing and you're calibrating your business. So. I kind of had to just take a step back and say all I'm trying to do for my business is grow by like $1 over the year before. Like I'm not looking to 10x, I'm not looking oh, wow. to, Well, I just want to be able in my head say we grew. Even if it's tiny. And that's what we did. And then from there it's like, okay, well then how do we just keep growing and it may not be the levels that other people deem massively successful, but This is the beauty of not having investors is that I don't care. I don't care what they think because it's our business. It's my business. I don't have somebody breathing down my neck telling me that why am I not growing faster and why am I not doing more Facebook ads, which I have a lot of conversation about Facebook ads, but you know what I'm saying? So that was sort of, you know, then of course, the other thing that happened was you prioritize what you want to spend time doing and what you don't. And that's what cancer does do for you which is not a bad thing. And so I really thought about what lifts me up and what brings me down. And I tried to get rid of the toxic people in my life that bring me down. But the thing that was lifting me up was I was really enjoying spending this time with other founders and the business partnerships with other founders that we have done, where we were, you know, doing giveaways, blogs, Instagram lives, whatever, those were working really well to build my business. And so that's how I decided, okay, as I was literally sitting having a chemo session, because my chemo sessions were five, six hours long, so I would use those to kind of like reflect on things. And that's when this idea of the Conscious Beauty Collective was born, which is, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a group of indie beauty brands. There are about 32 of us. And we started with a pop-up store in San Francisco, and then we moved to Native Mall, which is outside of Boston, for the holidays. And that was fantastic because it's really about these small brands like mine joining forces to help each other because it's really difficult to fight in a category that's owned by a lot of big, big brands. Even though it's easy to launch a beauty brand, it's not easy to, to keep a beauty brand. To-
0: right. You can launch anything, I think, these days because you can just go and grab GoDaddy this and the, the website and just grab it all and pay the little. Things to have the titles and whatever you need. But after that, right? Yeah. Interesting. So this was your idea, right? Mm -hmm. Conscious Beauty Collective. And that's right. You just said, hey, I've got all these brands. Let's bring this to the next level. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah. It was like, what things are working for my business? Well, the brand partnerships okay, well, if I'm only doing one at a time, that's that's scalable. So how can I make it a bigger impact? Well, if I did 30 at a time, suddenly that's a bigger Mm. impact. Okay, how do I do that? that? Well, okay, I can launch a pop-up store. And then off the pop-up store, we can be doing events, we can be doing live streaming, we can be doing giveaway, you know, all the stuff we're doing, but have this hub where we all share this common interest and values and whatnot. So that was... That was the thinking. So that's
0: been great. That is amazing. And I have a couple questions. One is, would you say the cancer was your catalyst or your catapult in order for you to figure out how to prioritize yourself and your time?
1: I would say probably because I tend to be a bit of a workaholic, a lot of, um, entrepreneurs are and you just can't do that when you have cancer so you do have to prioritize so it does force that now it's a shame that it takes cancer to force that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs could use a little bit of just perspective maybe but I also get why it's hard because like I said there are a lot of outside forces and voices telling you what benchmarks you're supposed to hit and where your business is supposed to be. And it can feel, it's very easy to feel like a failure amidst all of that.
0: I would say, Lynn, wouldn't you, that it's kind of an interplay in ourselves of the worthiness and how we can internalize that versus what we're told makes us worthy. It's, and I think that happens for everybody, no matter what you do down to the overscheduled mother that well i'm only as good as how many boxes i have checked off in my calendar going all the way up to the ceo of a company it's really interesting that's and i've been grappling with that myself like well who said i'm not good enough just doing this right and what is just this it's really interesting And what I thought was really interesting too with this idea that you had of prioritizing and starting to implement things that made you happy is that you decided to take your care and move it to Palm Springs where you could walk to your treatments. Again, that was just
1: pragmatic. I mean, who wouldn't rather be in Palm Springs in you know, (laughs) March in April versus... Massachusetts, right? And my doctor was an hour and 15 minute drive each way in Massachusetts. And so when you're going through radiation, you have to go every day. So yeah. it just became like, wait, so I would have to spend three hours in the car yeah, roughly, like just getting there and back and then dealing with the radiation. And that's just a lot of wasted time. If I go out to Palm Springs My doctor's only a mile away. I could walk there, which I did because April and Palm Springs is actually quite nice, those were great because it's a 20 minute walk. It's energizing. It's not too far where I'm super tired. I felt like I was just being active. So yeah, that just worked for me.
0: I think that's really neat that you did that. You, and, and it wasn't easy. You had to make sure that just getting that approved can be a bit of a hassle. So you had to put effort into that. That was a nightmare. I mean, the healthcare
1: system is not set up to work together and things are state-led. So your insurance and whatnot, it's just a nightmare. So anyone trying to do that, (laughs) I can, I don't know if I could even offer advice because it was really challenging. It took me three to four months of dozens and dozens and dozens of calls and faxes and whatnot to get it through the system to get approved.
0: But you were that squeaky wheel.
1: You have to be, because at first they just say no, and then you have to explain. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. It's actually cheaper to get it done out there for whatever reason. Like, they're just, it became like, I think once the insurance realized it's going to actually cost them less, they approved it. But it was not easy to get it done. Yeah.
0: No, but you got it done. And that seems to be kind of your motto. It's like, okay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get it done. I have this idea to do the collective, I'm going to get it done. And I think that's a really neat attitude, even in the face of just feeling like crud from chemo and what your body's going through. And you told me you never even went there in your mind as to why me. And I think that's incredible. Well,
1: I don't, again, I don't know about that. I, I still, I don't think about that at all. Because I have a lot of friends who have gone through it. I counted up, I think, 15 people that I have known. And of those, three died. And also, people would sometimes say things to me like, oh, breast cancer is so treatable now. It's like having the flu. It's like, not all breast cancer. A lot of it is. A lot of it is, you know. So it is tricky. I mean, when somebody posts a thing on LinkedIn about how they, oh, my God, I have breast cancer. And then you read on and it's like, oh, it's stage zero. And they just had it like cut out and that nothing they don't have to have chemo i mean yes it's still scary i'm not trying to mitigate that but it's not the same as having a full-blown you know thing it's like i had skin cancer i had a little mohs procedure that's not the same as having melanoma exactly exactly But there are people that are very much like, oh, good thing you got breast cancer. It's so easy to treat. It's like, no, then why did my 40-year-old friend die last year of it? No, it's not that easy to treat. Not all kinds. And it is a very pervasive cancer. And my friend and I have done a lot of sort of soul-searching as to why we got it. Not why us, but more the cause of what triggered it. Because we both live in a, you know, we live close to each other. And so it's like, is it the water we're drinking? Is it the you know, pollutants in our environment? Is it the fact that I've renovated houses and breathed in asbestos and whatnot? You just don't know. Or is it my deodorant? I mean, one of the brands in the Conscious Beauty Collective is called Simpure. That founder, Annabelle, had stage three breast cancer when she was 28 and she was convinced it was her deodorant that caused it she started her business by launching a clean deodorant and then from there launched skincare. But it could be that. So we don't know. But I think it seems like there's more things that are triggering cancers because there's a lot of cancer out there. Boy. And my oncologist said, oh, it's just because people are living longer. That was her thing. Because I was like, why is like everyone I know, there's somebody in their family has cancers. It's just very prevalent. It's because people are living longer, and that's true too, but I don't know if that accounts for all of it. I do think there's got to be some environmental stuff we're doing that we're going to find out in 10 years.
0: Yeah, and there's research that I'm doing and working with Morley Robbins of the Root Cause Protocol, I think I mentioned this to you, where it all comes down, and it's been scientifically proven time and time again for hundreds and hundreds of years, that it all comes down to the copper, as the gateway to our cells and our own copper, how the copper regulates everything. And then when that's dysfunctional, it causes it's it's just like the snowball effect and everything else we do. It's very, very interesting. And Morley's gonna be on in a couple of weeks, but it's definitely something to look into that. I mean, it's going down to the mitochondria in our cells. Yeah. And how they're affected. It's really interesting. And I'm trying to get through the first part of the book, The Cure and see you being the element name for copper. And that's how he says it. And it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of medical ATPs and Krebs and all these psych, but he tries to make it very easy to understand. But I think the more we can question what's going on, the better we're gonna be in the future for our children and our children's children moving forward, because all those things, the environment, the foods we're eating, glyphosates and everything. Oats, do you think you're doing good by having oat milk? Well, oats is a very heavily sprayed crop. Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm like, oh, well, I love my oat milk latte, but I'm so bloated all the time. Hmm. What if I stop drinking the oat milk latte? Oh, I'm not bloated anymore. Like wow. ding, yeah. ding, yeah. ding. It's super interesting and I just, it's crazy. But back to your story. So where is Masame now in your world? Because now you're in your, well, I don't wanna, is it recovery, remission? Where are you?
1: They don't like to say that you're cured, but I am what they call NED, no evidence of disease. And then if I stay this way for two years, they will say I'm cancer-free. So that's that. But where it lost me is I've jumped back in because now that I've got my energy back, I'm now going back out, going to trade shows. In fact, I'm going to be at Inoco's, which is a great trade show in San Diego next week. There's Makeup LA in LA, of course. There's America's Beauty Show in Chicago. Then I'm going to be at Shop Talk in Vegas. Like So there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing, which is great to get out there. But yeah, I'm really just really focused on getting Masami on track and growing. I said Masame. It's Masami. Masami, yes. Masami. Because Masami was... Yeah. So Masami was named after Masahiro, my partner's husband, who is like our muse. He's just a really wonderful human. And it also means truly beautiful in Japanese. So... That was just serendipity when that happened. But yeah, so I'm really focused on just getting it out, getting it out in the world, getting more people to try it. When people try it, they tend to love it. So just trying to get out there as much as possible. And you have enough energy to go do all these shows.
0: I mean, because that stuff will wipe you out.
1: I like it. I mean, I can't do it. I mean, I've got a couple coming up that are all over the next, you know, few weeks but yeah i do enjoy it and then we're launching another pop-up we're going to be in riverside at victoria gardens april hopefully fingers crossed that all works out for the conscious beauty collective so yeah so i've i'm busy it's good i'm kind of digging my short hair i think i'm going to leave it short so we'll see it's cute Yeah. yeah so that's it so it's shaping up to be an interesting
0: year for sure So what would you say, if you were to sit there and kind of reflect, which I'm sure you've done a little bit of, what would you say have been your biggest aha moments or epiphanies from these last few years since leaving your CEO job?
1: Well, the first one, which is probably relevant to your audience is You don't have to wait until you get everything lined up and all the ducks in a row and everything's perfect because I know so many people who are just complacent, who hate their jobs, but they just are too scared to leave because they don't feel ready. And you're never really ready. You know what I mean? Like, so I just say to people, there's no reason. Like, you can figure it out. And you can also do stuff on the side to get yourself as ready as possible. Like, it doesn't have to be all or none. So that's number one, Mm. I think, just doing it. And because once you start doing something you enjoy, it just makes such a difference. And then my other sort of epiphany is more just, again, get rid of toxic people, Mm. get people in your life that you enjoy, that bring you joy into that. And I'm trying to get my children more involved in my business. That is not easy. I have a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old. But I think I've managed to convince, knock on wood, the 19-year-old and her boyfriend to come work in the store, which will be amazing.
0: You have a brick and mortar store, Hermosony?
1: Yeah, it's the Conscious Beauty Collective store. So hopefully I will get her, twist her little arm. But that would be my other epiphany is just like, there's nothing wrong, at least for me, maybe for other people, but there's nothing wrong with blending your personal life and your work life. And actually for me, it's worked a lot better when I do that because I just enjoy... Spending time with the people that I'm working with because they're also my friends or family, or, you know, so that's out well. So that would be my other thing is some people get very nervous about that. I get that. But if you can just be clear about roles, responsibilities, whatnot, you can make it work and it's better than I think.
0: You're speaking to a woman whose sons who both work in our restaurants. Yeah. And you have to have defined roles. Or it can get ugly fast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I can see that for sure. Well, we'll see. I mean, look, maybe we'll talk again in four months and I'm going to go, what was I thinking? It's a disaster. But I think at least, at least it feels like it could be a good step for for her and for me. And I think we'll both enjoy it and I'm excited about that. So yeah, those are just a couple of epiphanies. And then just keep moving. Like I experiment with lots of things when people are struggling in their business. I always say it's like planting seeds. You have to see which ones grow. Water the ones that grow. Let the other ones die out because there's no point. You can't do everything. But you have to experiment. You have to be willing to experiment. And you can't keep doing the same stuff over and over if it's not working. Right. If Facebook doesn't work for you, don't do it. I agree. So that's, but again, people get brainwashed into, oh, well, I should be doing Instagram and I need to be on TikTok. But if it doesn't work for you and you're spending a lot of time, don't do
0: it. Right. And I think also looking at your journey, just, as you said, you just keep going and you just open the door and allow and you just keep keep the momentum going and allowing what happens next to happen yes. next, I think.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah.
0: So, where can people get these amazing products? I'm so excited to try mine.
1: So, okay, lovemasami.com is our website. So, you can order there. L O V E M A S A M I.com. I could create a discount code for your listeners. Why don't we say second wind, 20% off? And that way, you know, people have an incentive to try it out. Leave a review if you love it. And then, yeah, we're on social media. Love Lost Me Hair everywhere. So we are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube, et cetera. And then if people just want to reach out to me, I mean, I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. My contact info is on our site too. But I'm always open to questions, to really anything. If people have questions about marketing, about entrepreneurship, about second wind, about clean products, all that good stuff. I'm always open to that.
0: And that's a very good point that I wanted to mention in case it hasn't come through in the podcast is that one of the things that's filling your soul the most right now is being a mentor and a nurturer for the other brands, the other women, the young entrepreneurs who are don't have the big treasure chest of experiences that age has allowed us to have that you can just pull in and say, oh, well, when I did this, this happened. Or you have all these experiences. And you said that that just really fills your soul. And that's what you're happy doing right now.
1: Yeah, I do. I have a lot of other entrepreneurs that, you know, they don't have a marketing background. So they have a lot of questions around stuff. And I always love helping them because like I said, if indie brands can support each other, it's like, what do they say? The rising tide lifts all boats, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's that analogy. It really is. Like, there's no reason you need to be competitive. There's plenty of people with hair. There's plenty of people with skin. Yeah. There's another business to go around. As my
0: husband says, there's an ass for every seat, right? Yes, exactly.
1: So there you go.
0: Oh, Lynn, it's been my pleasure speaking with you today and getting to know you. And I appreciate your being willing to talk about a huge part of your life with the cancer and how you just put your head down and went right through it. It's amazing. It really is. Well, happy to share. I'm honored to be on your show. It's lovely. And I'm so glad we were able to connect. Thank you so much. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you or left you feeling inspired,